Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Big Why. As our newsroom continues digging into your questions, please enjoy this rerun of a favorite episode of ours. We'll be back with new episodes in a couple of weeks. And you can always listen to any of our previous episodes and submit your own questions about Montana on our website, bigwhy.org. Welcome to The Big Why, a series from Montana Public Radio where we find out what we can discover together. I'm your host, Austin Amistoy. This is a show about listener-powered reporting. We'll answer questions, large or small, about anything under the big sky. By Montanans for Montana, this is The Big Why. This week's question comes to us from a listener. My name is Joyce Franzen, and I live in Helena, and I am an elementary librarian. When she was in her 20s, Franzen traveled to Kansas with some friends, and they made some plans to go tubing. To her surprise, they had to get permission to float through private land. And it just blew my brain, like, what? Why would you have to do that? She was so blown away because back home in Montana, she was used to just hitting the water and going wherever the river takes her. No permission necessary. And that's because in Montana, we have this very particular law. It says that anybody can fish or recreate on streams and rivers in the state below the high water mark, regardless of who owns the land beneath them. And I learned the Montana Stream Access Law that allows us to float and fish is actually quite unique in our country. In fact, when it passed in 1985, Montana's law became arguably one of the strongest for public access in the nation. So the more she learned, the more she got to wondering. What inspired Montana's stream access laws? Joining me to get to the bottom of Franzen's question is MTPR producer Nick Mott. Thanks, Austin. It's good to be here. So one thing I'm wondering right off the bat, you said the stream access law passed in 1985. So what was the situation before that law was on the books? Yeah, for more on that, I turn to Jim Getz. He's 80 years old and has spent much of his life working as a lawyer in the state. Montana's law was pretty murky and somewhat hostile to citizens' right to use the rivers. Get says some public land proponents at the time wanted to strengthen and clarify those rules. After all, access was a big deal in Montana, even back then. So they looked for test cases, basically lawsuits that would force the courts to clarify things one way or the other. With Getz as the lawyer, they filed two lawsuits, and the stakes were high. As a lawyer, you you know, you're taking risks, you may lose a case, but this was a case I just always felt we could not afford to lose. If Getz had lost the cases, stream access could have been limited in Montana rather than expanded. But sounds like he didn't lose. He didn't. Getz won big, twice in the same year. In both cases, Getz and his client, the Montana Coalition for Stream Access, successfully argued that the 1972 Montana Constitution protects the public's right to enjoy the state's waterways. Article 9, Section 3 says the state owns all surface, underground, flood, and atmospheric waters for the use of its people. The state stream access law that passed in 1985 came out of those two lawsuits. Ah, so just like so many of these Big Y episodes, it all comes back to 1972. Yeah, the Constitutional Convention created the foundation that Montana law and our rights as citizens in the state are based on. The stream access law does have a couple of guardrails, though. For one, recreationists must stay within the stream's normal high water mark. Straying outside that on private land means you're trespassing, if you don't have permission. 
Second, people have to be fishing, floating, or using the stream for a recreational purpose related to the water. That means you can't be using the stream to access a different location or hike within the stream bed. Gotcha. So with anglers and floaters floating and wading around private property, I gotta imagine this law was controversial. Did the story of stream access end there in 1985 when that law got passed? It most certainly did not, and to dig into that, I'm going to take you to one specific river. And what are we looking at here? This is the Bitterroot River, sometimes called Mitchell Slough. That's Michael Howell. He's the former editor of the Bitterroot Star, a paper that serves communities in the Bitterroot Valley. Howell lives in Stevensville, and his house is a short drive from Mitchell Slough. The stream is a branch of the Bitterroot River, and it inspired one of the most consequential legal battles in the history of the stream access law. Ooh, that sounds juicy. What do you mean? Well, this is a pretty complicated story, so let me set the scene first. The stream runs for more than 10 miles through a patchwork of private property in the Bitterroot Valley. Is this, is this private over here? Yes. Private property? All of this that we're standing on is private property. Some segments are owned by celebrities, like singer Huey Lewis and Finance Corporation founder Charles Schwab. In the early 90s, Howell was present for a test of the stream access law on the Mitchell when two brothers fished in the slough and were arrested for trespassing. But wait, why were they arrested? Doesn't the law say anybody can recreate on state streams? It does, and the brothers were acquitted under the law. But that was just the start of the Mitchell slough story. Howell documents the play-by-play -play in a book he published in 2021 called Saving the Mitchell. Through the 90s, Howell says landowners along the stream made attempts to reduce or eliminate public access. The heart of the debate over Mitchell Slough soon boiled down to one question. Is it a stream or a ditch? So why was that one question so important? Well, Nick, a ditch is a man-made waterway, and Montana's stream access law only covers natural features. The landowners around the slough argued they'd altered it so much over time, installing headgates and diversions, that it was no longer a natural stream, and the local conservation district initially agreed. But not everyone was on board with the idea. Here, Howell describes the reaction from a retired forester to that decision. He, he said to him, you know, you guys, I've been everywhere on this thing that you're calling Mitchell Slough, and there is no Mitchell Slough. It's the Bitterroot River. Howell and others formed the Bitterroot River Protection Association at the turn of the millennium, and the group sued the conservation district in 2003 to stop it from listing the slough as a ditch. So how did that case shake out? Ultimately, it all came down to a Montana Supreme Court decision in 2008. The judges ruled in favor of those who said Mitchell Slough was natural in origin, and that made it a stream and not a ditch. But Howell says the court's decision revealed the debate over the Mitchell wasn't about whether it was a ditch or a stream at all. It's really about who owns the water. Who owns the water answers the whole question. It's the public's water is what the Supreme Court decided unanimously. The case in the Bitterroot reaffirmed this big legal idea behind the stream access law and that section of the Constitution, the public trust doctrine. Ooh, new legal lingo. Yeah, you gotta love lingo, but this bit is pretty simple. Basically, the doctrine says that governments can hold certain portions of navigable water in the public trust, regardless of who owns the land around those areas. This, to me, is the real answer to Joyce Franzen's question. It's what inspired Montana's stream access law. 
Public trust has its roots about 1500 years ago, way back during the Byzantine Empire, where Emperor Justinian first ruled that the sea, shore, and all running water belonged to the people. And that legal ground has proven to be pretty solid. With some clarifications and updates from time to time, courts have refused to overturn the idea that Montana's streams and rivers belong to the public. So I gotta imagine this law is still evolving, at least in some ways. Is there still pushback today? Yeah, there definitely are some folks who aren't too happy with it. Most of the suits brought against the law have come from landowners, so I called up Chuck Deneau. He's the executive director of United Property Owners of Montana. Deneau told me some Montana landowners still feel their property was unjustly taken from them with the passing of the stream access law. He says there are legal processes for the public to gain easements on or obtain property. Stream access wasn't done that way. There were definite winners and losers in that case. Deneau said that while there aren't any major lawsuits underway now, he can still see the potential for future challenges to the access law. There's a lot of waterways in Montana that are accessible through the stream access law where a private individual or corporation holds title to that property and pays taxes on that property. So that's, that's a misconception that I think is important for people to realize that that is still somebody's property that they're, they're recreating upon. All told, though, it doesn't sound like that law is going anywhere, at least not anytime soon. I'd say that's a good assessment, Nick. Now we want to know what makes you curious about Montana. This show is all about answering your questions, so send them to us at bigy.org. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and help others find the show by sharing it and leaving us a review. 